time being, if you would, take your Bibles and let's uh, jump over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we've already, um, if you believe it or not, we we did 12 verses in uh, one Wednesday night, last Wednesday, and uh, we're going to top that with uh, 13 more tonight, all right? We're going to finish out the chapter uh, this evening, and uh, that way we'll move on to chapter 5 the next, uh, next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But um, Romans chapter 4, and um, we had already mentioned the main theme of this chapter as a whole. Um, And and again, this is not a straight out of a Bible college textbook or anything, but uh, what I would personally label as a theme from reading, looking, studying, um, my view of the main theme of this this chapter would be Abraham and imputed righteousness. It deals with Abraham. It deals with that that whole thought of imputed righteousness or righteousness placed upon his account. And uh, the key verses are sixteen and seventeen. Uh, in in my view of reading the chapter, um, I am not going to read those at this moment because we're going to read them in just a second as we go through this last half of the chapter. Um, the, the first half we, we mentioned last uh, Wednesday night, we dealt with the, the first half section, which would be as a whole categorized as Abraham justified by faith. We dealt with the questions that are presented in verse number one, verse number three, verse number nine, and verse number 10. Uh, the questions such as, what did Abraham find? What does Scripture say? Which is the question laid out. Um, who receives the blessing of righteousness? And when did Abraham receive imputed righteousness? Paul trying to um, teach and apply that Abraham uh, was not given imputed righteousness on his account because of, and he deals very specifically with, circumcision. The, the, the instruction of circumcision, which was to be a statement of who they belong to, who God's people, the Jews, belong to. And, uh, and so uh, the idea that the Jews of Paul's time making a really big issue out of, well, we are circumcised Jews and they are uncircumcised Gentiles, as though the idea of circumcision was some kind of um, uh, merited favor that gave Abraham and all those that follow his leading in that way give them the imputed righteousness. It is, it is a merited favor by following God's command in circumcision. And, um, and Paul is trying to get across to them that it's, it's not by circumcision. It's not by works or earning your right to be forgiven, uh, he lays out very clearly by asking the question, when did Abraham receive imputed righteousness? And then he specifically lays out for them that Abraham received the imputed righteousness. It was counted to him for righteousness before he followed obedience in circumcision. And so... What Paul lays out is Abraham could not have been given 
the imputed righteousness or God's righteousness on his account, it could not be by works and the works being by the evidence of him obeying by the work of circumcision. It must be by his faith because he received from God imputed righteousness before he ever followed the law in circumcision. And so Paul is laying out, it must be by faith, because Abraham received it by faith, not by the law. And, uh, and so he lays that out there in, in the fact that Abraham himself was justified by faith. And that's where we, we pick up in verse number 13, uh, which is the second half of what we're looking at in this chapter. And this I would uh, label, and you might say the last half of the chapter from 13 to verse number 25, uh, I would label it as the promise found through faith. So Abraham received a promise, but that promise was found not through works, not through the law, but found through faith. And Paul begins to continue to build on that teaching uh, in verse number 13 of chapter 4. So we'll look at verse number 13. With me, let's read verse 13 to verse 15, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll look at what these things are teaching. It says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, some people would take that last statement and say, well, see, see, if we go share the, God, we go share the gospel and we go tell people about sin, then when they, now they're going to be bound by the knowledge of sin. Well, listen, they're bound by the knowledge of sin already. We, we, we know by conscience sake when we've done wrong, uh, you can look around you and see automatically even the most heathen of nations, uh, the most lawless, we would say, of nations, the ones that were, uh, uh, you, 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 you can go over into, into Africa and other countries, but you can go to some of the worst headhunting tribes I and mean, some of those vicious peoples, and yet even within their own ranks, they had a governing idea of what would be acceptable and not acceptable. And so man has always been able to decipher and see that there is a right way and a wrong way. Now, it doesn't mean they always apply it to what the Bible teaches, but man generally, we know that we have a tendency to do things our way. Man knows that there are those, if you have a king, you have a leader, they understand that there, there will be, if you don't have control of things, someone will rise up and try to overthrow the leader and be the one to take over. Well, that overthrow would be seen as a wrong act by those in charge. And so man, man in general understands right and wrong. We know, now we can try to, to, to deny it, but we know without even being told. But here's the thing. The idea that where, where no law is, there, there is no transgression. 
what it's saying is the law was given so we understand and we there, there's definitely no possible way we could deny why it is we transgress. We understand it. The law teaches us that. It is our schoolmaster. But where there is no law, where there is no instruction, there's no transgression in the sense that uh, when, when you don't understand God's written law, when you don't have that there, then the, the, talk about the law working wrath. When, the, when you understand right, you have to abide by that which is right. You are aware of it completely. When you don't have law, people have the ability to say, well, who's to say? Who's to say what's right? Who's to say what's wrong? Though uh, we know automatically man has an understanding of right and wrong. But what Paul's laying out is not a justification that don't teach people about sin because if you don't teach them about sin, they're not guilty. He's not saying that. We're all guilty anyways. We're all under the guilt of sin regardless. But he's laying out here that the promise had to be by faith. And, and, and well, verse, number, uh, verse number four, uh, for if they which are of the law be heirs, and be the only heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath. It teaches us sin. It teaches us who we are. It shows us why, why God has the right to be angry with sin and with men who reject him in sin. Um, the law worketh wrath. It shows the wrath of God and the righteousness for God to, be, uh, to have wrath towards it. For, but for where no law is, there is no transgression. Men are to some degree lost without knowing it, but yet still lost. But it says in verse number 16, no, well, let, me, let me give you this, okay? So why, why not through the law? Ultimately, why is he saying why not through the law? Verse number 13 to verse number 15 lays it out. Verse 14 says faith would be made void. If it was through the law, there would need, be no need for faith. You live according to the law. The problem is you can't actually complete the, com- complete the law. You can't keep the whole law. So therefore, it's a losing proposition to begin with. Paul's already laid that out. But faith would be made void. The promise would be of none effect, as Paul said, and the law itself worketh wrath. The law just teaches man how bad we are. It doesn't ever actually give the hope of fixing it. It just teaches us how bad we are. And, uh, and then he goes on in verse number 16 and 17. Why only, so if, why not through the law? Then why only through faith? He lays it out why faith is the only way for righteousness to be placed on our account. Forgiveness um, to be opening, opening that door for righteousness, God's righteousness to be placed on us. Verse number 16 says this. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be, and here's the first thing, it might be by grace. It is of faith that it might be by grace. If it was of works, it would be of merit. So if it's of works, if it's through works, it's by merit. But it must be by faith, that we, it must be, I should say, of faith and through faith that it might be by grace. It is God's grace that brings forgiveness. It is God's grace that takes his holiness, his righteousness, 
and makes it possible to be placed on our account. Not because of merit. Again, as we said, I believe last week, um, that uh, if, if it was by works, then God would actually uh, be beholden to us. God uh, would, would owe us something. But it's by faith, which means that we as unworthy individuals owe him everything. If it's by works, he owes us. If it's by faith, we owe him. And so it must be by faith, through faith. That way it is by his grace. Verse number 16 said, he goes on to say, to the end that promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. There's the first verse dealing with the key verses. Verse number 17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. It is by faith that it might, or should say through faith, that it might be by grace. But ultimately, so that the promise would be sure for both Jew and Gentile. Here's the thing. The promise for Abraham that was given by faith, if it was of the law, then it could be claimed as for the Jew only because the Jew had the law. The Jew had God's guidance, had God's law given through Moses. And so therefore, if it's of the law, then from Abraham and then also especially through Moses, it's the Jewish people that have the promise of God of the righteousness placed on our account. But it can't be of law and just to the Jew only. It is, as Paul said, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. So how is it made that the promise given for Abraham, that the promise that he'd be the father of many nations and not the father technically of the physical aspect only, but we're dealing with the spiritual aspect. And again, Paul proves over and over again, he's dealing with a much broader spectrum than we tend to look. We look and say, well, Abraham, is, is the, he is the father of the Jewish, the Israelite, the Jewish nation. And, and that, that's where, you know, Father Abraham, it's of the Jewish people. But in Romans, Paul makes very clear that the promise given to Abraham by God that he would be the father of, he'd make him the father of many nations has not to do just with the physical aspect of the children that come in the family line, which would be of the Jewish people, but he's dealing with the spiritual aspect that through God's people, the Israelites, through them would come one who would be the salvation of all men and through the faith like that of Abraham, all men can have the same faith in the God of this book and through that faith, all men would be able to receive the imputed righteousness as Abraham did. It is a promise that is not given just to the physical people, but is given in the spiritual aspect that all can receive the gift of forgiveness 
and the imputed righteousness on our account. And so he lays out here that it must be by and through faith that it might be by grace from God and that the promise might be sure for both the Jew and the Greek. And that's pointed out there um, um, in um, the, the middle part of verse number 16. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. That's talking about Jews. Israel. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. That is the act of faith that any man can exhibit and place in God. And so he's saying it's not by the law. Otherwise the only hope would be to the Jew. But it's by faith that that hope be to all men. And so he goes on, um, and, and look at verse number 18 with me, if you would. So now, now it comes down, he, he kind of lays out, verse number 18, verse number 21, he lays out Abraham's act of faith. What did Abraham do? What is this faith that we're talking about? This faith, uh, in, in verse number 18, down to verse number 21, he begins to show what Abraham uh, did by faith. So we look here, verse number 18 who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. The father of many nations, it's going to be a seed of many nations, not just one people group. Therefore, we're talking about a spiritual seed. Now, he goes on, and in looking at that, understand that in talking about he... Against hope, he believed in hope. Paul will later, when we get there, we'll see it. But later in, in Romans chapter 8, verse number 24 and 25, um, Paul will mention that thought of hope again. And here's what he says, and we'll, we'll, we'll look into it more in detail when we get there. But verse number 24 and 25 uh, of Romans 8, Paul says this, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. He's building on, on this uh, statement concerning Abraham, even down into chapter 8, he's building on this statement that Abraham, in his act of faith, it was an act who against hope, believed in hope. In other words, it was a hopeless situation, but he still believed. It was not understandable how this was going to happen, but he still believed. Uh, people would have said, <laughs> it's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. Why, why, why are you going to put hope in something where it's hopeless? But against all hope, he put his faith in that hope. And then Paul later on says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In other words, it's what you can't see and what you can't understand, what you cannot comprehend, but you place your faith in a God who's made a promise that we cannot figure out. Think about it. Um... My, my hope is in 
him, my goal and my view of where, where my faith in him is going to take me is living with him in glory. Can I comprehend how that could happen for me? Not really. But I live by faith in the hope of his promise. And my hope is sure because it's placed in the one who made a promise that even Abraham understood when he promised, I can trust the promise. So therefore, Abraham, against all hope, placed his faith in the hope of God's promise. It was a hopeless situation. It was a a foreseeable failure that Abraham could ever have a lineage come from him, but then beyond that, that he would be the father of many nations? I mean, how is that going to work? But yet God had a plan, and it tells us a little bit later on. Well, let's keep, keep on reading. Verse number 19, it says, And uh, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Well, there's his hope. Everybody else said it's hopeless. It'll never happen. You can't can't depend on that. And yet he said, but he promised. And my hope is in his promise. Because he's never let me down. And when God makes a promise, he never pulls it back. He always fulfills his promise. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to accomplish what he has promised. But my hope in this hopeless situation is not in my ability to make it work. It's in his ability to keep his promise. And so, may I say, we are looking at the formula that man today still follows when it comes to salvation, when it comes to faith in God. Did we see Christ die on a cross? No. Do we have video evidence of it to watch it actually, it actually did happen? We can actually watch and see? No. We look back believing it did. We, we look back saying we have an account of it that we believe is sure because it's God's word. He promised it and it is true. Do I understand how a holy God could see me as worthy of being forgiven? No. Not even when I understand that his son died for me. But even then I look and say, if, if I was the one responsible of knowing everything about me and forgiving me, I wouldn't do it because I know me. And in my personal opinion, I'm not worth forgiving because I fail over and over and over and over and over again. So I look and say, I know what he's promised, but it sure does seem like a hopeless situation when you look at my case. And yet I place my hope not in what I can be worthy of his forgiveness I place my hope in his promise to forgive. 
because of my faith that I place in him. It's the same thing Abraham did. And that's what Paul is presenting here. The promise given is not through works, but it is through faith that it might be of grace so that all those who place their faith in him, whether Jew or Gentile, you don't have to be born to the house of Israel to receive the promise through faith that even Abraham received. The righteousness of God imputed on his account. You don't have to be of the seed of Abraham, of the Israelite family to receive that. You can just be of the household of faith. By the example of Abraham, placing my faith in him, and I also can receive the promise of his righteousness on my account. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. But how did, what, what was Abraham's hope? He believed in hope. Here, here's the overall thing from verse number 18 to verse number 21. Abraham's act of faith. He believed in hope, was not weak in faith, staggered not through unbelief, and was fully persuaded. Well, I mean, read through your New Testament and, and, and where Paul talks many other times uh, you can find the same process in the New Testament church age that we live in. You can find the same process of trusting in God today that Abraham followed, which is what Paul's talking about. It was not God's righteousness on Abraham's account because Abraham did something to earn it. No, it was God's righteousness placed on his account simply because of the faith that Abraham had in God and he placed his faith. He did not work for it. He did not obey in, in certain rituals that would earn him the right of forgiveness and righteousness. He simply pay, placed his believing faith in the hope that God would keep his promise. And he believed by faith Without the weakness, he believed by faith without staggering and back and forth. And I don't know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. He didn't stagger back and forth through unbelief. He laid out fully persuaded what he promised he will do. And today it still follows the same procedure for every single human being. If we, and we know this, but if, we, if any, any lost individual is ever going to receive Christ as their Savior, it must be by an act of faith in a holy God and what he has done by sending his son to die for our sins. And it is in the faith and hope of the promise that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a promise from man, it's a promise from God. Man has re-declared it over and over again from this book, but it was God's promise. That though we were unrighteous and though we were unworthy, whosoever desires by faith to turn to him, placing their hope in him, placing their faith in him, that God's grace would apply the promise of forgiveness.
whether Jew or Gentile. All the same. So Abraham believed in hope, not weak in faith, did not stagger through unbelief, but was fully persuaded, as you see in verse number 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and he's still able. Last thing is this, verse number 22 to 25, you see the result of Abraham's faith, which is also the result of faith for every individual. Uh, Paul lays out here in verse number 22, says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why? Because of his faith. Now, in verse number 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So why was it written? Why was it laid out and why is Paul now teaching that which was written concerning righteousness imputed to Abraham and over his life why was that recorded not just for Abraham's sake Paul says verse number 24 but for us also to whom it shall be imputed the same righteousness that Abraham received by faith is the same righteousness from God that we can receive by faith. For us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He lays out simply this final thought in, in the end of this chapter, which again, don't forget, it was a full letter. It wasn't broke down into chapters. But in the layout of the breakdown as we see it in chapters, it ends out in chapter 4 with Paul simply saying, the result of faith was not just for Abraham, but is for all those who believe through faith. He showed the example of what faith does. But every single person who places their faith in the same God, the same way, for the same purpose, or receive the same promise. And then lastly, he lays out and says, it's not just faith to believe in him, or to believe on him, but to believe in him. There's a big difference when people say, oh, I, 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 you know, I, believe, I believe that he exists. I believe that, yeah, God is real. Oh yeah, I believe this, and I, I believe that he died for he died for men. I believe all these different things. Jesus was born a baby, and he came, and he he went and died on a cross. People can say all the things that they believe about God and about His Son, but it that does not equal believing in. Now, you could probably flip those two words even to a degree. I know I've heard some say, you can believe in God, but you've got to believe on him. It, it, it's semantics, but it comes down to this whole, this whole point. Believing about him or trusting fully in him, two different things. I believe God exists. Wonderful. Uh, the devils believe and tremble. Man believes but doesn't tremble nearly as much as Satan and his crew. 
But it's not just believing that he exists that makes the difference. It's not the idea, well, I have enough faith to believe there is a God. That didn't fix it. That doesn't equal faith in him. That just means you have faith of him. You know he exists. (laughs) What about having faith placed in him and him alone? That's what Abraham did. He placed not his faith on the fact that God existed, but in the God that promised him that he would do what only he could do. And so Paul is saying here here in chapter 4 that faith is the only way. It is not by works because even going back to to, to the Jew, to every single one of those Jewish individuals, going back and and what many of them would hold on to and the fact that they were of the seed of Abraham. And Paul's simply saying, that really doesn't weigh very much in eternity because you're talking about the wrong seed. You're saying we're of the physical seed of Abraham. We are from the lineage physically of Abraham, but that doesn't earn you any merits with God. God promised him that through Abraham, he would make him a father of many nations. And that through him, the hope of all mankind would come. So through the physical lineage, Christ was born. But, but, it is not through the physical aspect that makes him the father of many nations. Paul lays out very clearly, it is through the spiritual application that he is the father. He is the one you look back and say, well, what describes faith? It's the faith of Abraham. He is the father. You might want to put it this way. He's the father of faith according to Paul. The same faith he exhibited, the same process of faith that he went through in trusting God is the same faith that we must also follow in trusting God because it was imputed to him for righteousness and it had nothing to do with his works. It had all to do with his faith. And so Paul lays out that all who trust in God as Abraham trusted in God through faith, are of the spiritual seed of Abraham. He is the father of our faith, if you want to put it that way, humanly speaking. And uh, so that's chapter 4. We're going to look at five, chapter 5, Lord willing, next week. But um, good to know that uh, when you say, well, what does it take to actually trust in God? Let's go back to Abraham. You can see it pretty clearly. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.